0: Welcome to the Pre-PT Grind Podcast. Before we begin this episode, we would like to thank you for taking the time to invest in yourself as a Pre-PT on your journey to becoming a future doctor of physical therapy. This episode has been sponsored by our Acceptance Navigator series, which is a free four-part pre-PT video series where we teach you exactly how to take full control of your PT school acceptance journey, as well as how to find clarity and direction as a pre-PT so that you can dominate your application regardless of your GPA, GRE score, or fear of PT school rejection. Learn how to get into the driver's seat of your acceptance journey and not leave your acceptance to chance by shooting in the dark and hoping for the best as an applicant. This is the most value that we have given away and it's free. Take control of your pre-PT journey today by going to www.acceptancenavigator.com. That's www.acceptancenavigator.com. This episode has also been sponsored by our friends at ptschoolprobe.com, listen to this. One of the biggest fatal application mistakes that thousands of PT school applicants make each year when applying to PT school is not applying to schools that are a perfect match for them. Partnering with our friends at PT School Probe has made that a problem of the past. As PT School Probe makes it extremely easy to plug in and enter what you're looking for in your ideal schools, and you will be immediately matched up with your perfect match DPT programs in the United States. To get matched and locked into your perfect DPT school programs, go to www.ptschoolprobe.com, www.ptschoolprobe.com, and use the code PREPTGRIND in lowercase letters to get a discount and let them know that we sent you there. That's PREPTGRIND for your code. This will save you hundreds of dollars in your application by helping you avoid throwing away money at the wrong schools and saving tens of thousands of dollars lost every year that you miss out on becoming a DPT. So, go to www.ptschoolprobe, that's ptschool, P R O B E, and use the code PREPTGRIND in lowercase letters to get a discount and let them know that we sent you. And that's because we got you covered, and we are excited to share this next episode with you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast episode. We look forward to serving you. Have a blast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to pre Grind, where we help you become the best pre-PT applicant and student you can be. My name is Brianna Drapp, and I'm your host for today's faculty highlight interview. I'm very excited to be on here today because we have Associate Professor and Admissions Coordinator of New York Institute of Technology, Dr. Rosemary Gallagher, joining us to answer a few questions regarding their program. Thank you, Dr. Gallagher, for taking time out of your day to chat with me.
2: Hi. Thanks, Brianna, for inviting me. I'm excited to be giving out some information to some pre-PT students.
1: Yeah, I'm excited too. Okay, so let's dive into the first question. I saw that you have done a lot of work with the geriatric population as well as Parkinson's. So I kind of want to know, like, what was your story into getting into PT and how did you get there? And also, like, how did you end up being a professor at NYT?
2: Wow. Okay. So I'm going to put this in a nutshell because this is many years in the making. So when I was young, I always knew I wanted to work with people. I volunteered in the local hospital and I and at summer camps for children with physical disabilities. I originally wanted to go into nursing, but somehow ended up as a physical education major in college. And after graduation, I got a job working in an outpatient physical therapy office. And that's when I knew that physical therapy was for me. So I applied for PT school and I ended up going to Stony Brook. Uh, here on, in Long Island in New York, and graduated and worked in outpatient clinics for the most part for many years. Um, when I started having my children, I went into per diem work, and I ended up working in nursing homes, so I got to know the nursing home and the geriatric population a lot more. As my kids got older, I realized that I wanted to maybe go into teaching, and so I went to NYIT. I knew the director, the, the chair of the department there, because I went to school with her at Stony Brook, And I said, can I sit in, in some classes? And I did, and I kind of watched what the teachers or the faculty were doing and I liked that. And after two semesters of that, they ended up having an opening for faculty members. So I applied for that and got the job. So that was really nice. You know, so I started teaching and then very soon I went back for my PhD. And I worked at Rutgers for about seven years on my PhD work, graduating in 2017, and that's where I got more into working with the Parkinson's population. On our campus, we have a very robust Rocksteady boxing program and a rehab clinic that specializes in working with people with Parkinson's disease. So that's kind of where my studies took me, and now that's where my love is, and I work very closely with those people with Parkinson's. So that's where I am now. We, I picked up admissions. Uh, coordinating along the way I did a few information sessions and I liked it and they needed somebody to do it a little bit you know spend a little more time on it and be consistent and I said I'll do that so part of my job is also doing the admissions coordinating for the program
1: that's awesome I know one of the things I'm looking into is neuro especially like spinal cords and I want to look into maybe getting my NCS so I can specialize in that so I always get excited when I see people have like neuro research me too so our next question is students put extra work into bettering certain parts of their application to be the best all around applicant. Since every school values different aspects of the application, what would you say is an aspect of the application that you value the most or that catches your attention
2: when reviewing an application? Uh, so that's a really good question. So I typically look through the application in the order that the documents appear in PTCAS and that's just the easiest way to do it. So the first thing I look at is where the student went to undergraduate and what their major was. And this gives me a little bit of an idea of the rigor of what their coursework may have been. And then I look at the transcript. Once I've established that there's enough evidence to indicate that a student could handle the workload in PT school and that together with their GPA, I go into looking at their work and extracurricular activities. At NYIT, we look for students that not only can pass the courses and the licensing exam, of course, but also students who will give back to the community and someone that would bring something different to the table. What can that student bring different to our class? So for example, What life experience have they had? Maybe they worked as a manager in a store or a business for many years, and that brings a lot of managerial experience, which is really important, and and working with people, right? Do they show leadership experience? Do they have some research experience? So These are some of the things that I'm looking for. Um, So a student, for us, a student doesn't necessarily need to have a lot of different extracurricular activities But we'd like to see longevity in doing an activity. So rather than doing five hours here and 15 hours there, we'd rather see the 50 hours, the 100 hours, the 200 hours, you know, over a three year period of time. So we'd like to see that a student sticks with something that they're interested in doing, all right? Because that just shows that they are dedicated to the activity and we'd like to see that. So that's probably the next thing I go to.
1: I feel bad asking this, but is your institution located in Long Island?
2: Yes, we have different campuses, but only the Long Island campus has physical therapy and actually the School of Health Professions is only on the Long Island campus. Oh, okay. So
1: next question I have is, what are some things that are unique about your program that a student would typically not see on a tour, but rather only a student in the program would see or experience? So like interprofessional opportunities, research, form of teaching?
2: Yeah, so when a student goes on a campus tour with the admissions department, there's a lot that they won't see. Of course, they'll see our classrooms and the building that we're housed in, but they won't see things like our research space for the School of Health Professions. They won't necessarily see the academic healthcare center on campus where some of us faculty do a lot of research. I tend to do a lot of research in the academic healthcare center. That's where a lot of our people with Parkinson's are. In that academic healthcare center, we have a kind of a mini research area there as well. We have a 12 camera motion capture system. We have wireless EMGs in there. We have a Biodex Balance Master System. We have an instrumented treadmill with force plates and a metabolic cart. So they won't, probably on the campus tour, won't see that. Also that they probably won't see is the cadaver lab, which is actually is beautiful as cadaver labs goes. Sounds kind of uh, that we say it's beautiful, but it really is. It's on the third floor of the building. It's got windows all around. It's very bright, lots of natural light, which is really nice. So a lot of cadaver labs are in the basements with no windows. So this one's really enjoyable to be in. It has the latest technology in terms of an overhead camera system for demonstration purposes. We have several iPads placed around the room with big TV monitors so they could display anatomical pictures and structures and things like that. We also have interprofessional opportunities with students in other departments in the School of Health Professions as well as collaborations with students in the medical school we have an osteopathic medical school on campus and we also have rock steady boxing program with the people with parkinson's disease where students are able to volunteer with that program so those are some of the things that they wouldn't see when they go on a, a campus tour
1: so i have a question about that rock steady parkinson's thing is that using the same like ideology of like the tap and shout kind of thing or is that more um, just like the rhythmic large amplitude movement yeah kind of so thing?
2: that's a, so so, so, the rhythmic large amplitude stuff is kind of the LSVT type of program. They, and it's not like a, a rhythm and, and tap thing. It's actually something very specific that came out of Indiana and it's now worldwide, this rock steady boxing. And so, the coaches, we become certified rock steady boxing coaches by taking a course and doing that. And there's a very specific method that they use for the classes. So, they want you to, you know, we, we start out with warm ups we do agility drills so we work on every uh, on things that we know people with parkinsons have trouble with so we work on agility drills we work on balance we work on reactions balance reactions as well we work on fast alternating movements you know switching from one movement to the next and then we have a whole boxing portion where they work on boxing combinations so we combine cognitive strategies with physical strategies to challenge them to at least maintain where they are. There's a whole literature on exercise in Parkinson's that I won't go into. But so they'll learn boxing combinations and they have to remember the combinations and physically perform the combinations. And with an instructor, we have certified instructors and then we have lots of volunteers, through the medical students and also the School of Health Profession students that get in there one-on-one working with these people with Parkinson's disease, which is just an incredible opportunity for them. That's so cool. I'm mm-hmm.
1: very vaguely remembering learning a little bit about that when I was in PTA school, but I hearing you talk about it, just that's even more exciting. Cause I can just yeah. see how that just improved, you know, the literature, keeping them where they're at, don't mm-hmm. let them progress farther. Like that and, definitely would like help.
2: Yeah. And, you, and actually even more importantly is the social aspect of the program. We have probably four or five faculty health professions, people, including me, program, Dr. Adina Leader, who is an osteopathic medicine um, specialized movement disorder. She started the program. And so she's very involved. And then we have a lot of PT and OT faculty involved. And of course, the students, but we have such a, a really nice community of boxers and faculty and volunteers and the boxers, significant others. We do walks together. We'll go into Manhattan and we'll do you know, the unity walk together and make it social. A lot of our boxers will socialize with each other. They'll go out to a Christmas luncheon or something like that together. We have three levels of classes. We have nine classes a week. It's a huge program A well over 250 boxers in and out of this program over the past five or six years. And we'll have between 20 and 25 people per class nine times a week. And we even hit the people with Parkinson's who are more involved. So stages three going into four. So people who might be in a wheelchair or with walkers, we have our 11 o'clock classes geared to them and do a lot, of the, a lot of the exercises in the chair and things like that. So it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing, amazing program. I love everything about that. It's that is amazing. awesome. That it's, is such an amazing opportunity well. for the students as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just the, the camaraderie and it, it just touches my heart. It's amazing. So I'm very lucky to be part of that.
1: And to share with your background, you're like super proud that that's all coming oh, together.
2: They're smart. They're motivated. It's just fun.
1: <laughs> I love it. I, I totally would love to see that, honestly, personally. For a student who's accepted into your program and is there for the next three years, what kind of resources do you provide them to put them in a position to help them succeed, such as tutoring, mentoring other students, or having a mentorship with other faculty members?
2: You know, student success, of course, is really important to us. And we tell students early on that we're, we're on the same page, all right? We want them to succeed as much as they want to succeed. I actually have the privilege of teaching the first course in the program So, I can kind of set the stage. And in that course, I encourage students to work together. We're big believers in peer teaching and learning strategies. So, we really encourage that because you can really learn from each other. And when the students are teaching their peer, of course, they're going to learn it better. Faculty, uh, of course, are available. We're available a lot. You know, we're on campus a lot. Where if we're not in the classroom, we're in our offices, um, we have an open door policy. Of course, you can make an appointment with during office hours, but you can also just pop into the office. It's a small office area. Everyone's sitting right there. We say, hey, is Dr. H available? Is Dr. G available? I just have a quick question, something like that. And we want to be available to the students because the student can't afford to be stuck on a certain topic, right? Or a certain question or a certain problem that you need to get past that. So we wanna be there so we can kind of get you past that. And so you can move on and, and do some more studying, right? So we try to be available as much as possible. And if not, we're available via email. I mean, we're professors, so we're on email a lot and rather than practitioners who are great but they're, they're treating patients and they can't be checking their emails all the time. Students can catch us before or after class, during the break, of course. We have a small class size. We only take 44 students a year. So we get to know our students really well and we can catch them if we sense that there's a problem going on, whether the grades are slipping or just they just don't seem right. And we may approach them and say, hey, Mary, you know how are you doing? Is there anything going on that we can help with? Why don't you come in? We'll have a chat or something like that. And then the NYAT campus as a whole also has resources to support students, such as the Writing Center and Career Services.
1: I really like that. I think pr- for me personally, the thing that I look for in a PT school is if I'm having the worst week of my life, are they going to be there like in my corner helping me get through
2: it? Or is it there they're just there to teach me? And it sounds no, like you we, guys are really, we really there get to for them. You guys and, and we can tell. And, and so we'll talk as faculty. I mean, we're not talking behind the students' backs, but we're like, gosh, you know, Mary just seemed, seems like she's kind of off this week. Did you notice that also? And so we'll ask other professors who have that person in their class and just and they'll say yeah I noticed the same thing and one of us one of us is their advisor of course so we might say you know let me reach out to her or there might be another faculty member that we know is very close to that student and that faculty member might say you know what I've been talking to her a lot let me reach out and just see how she's doing and make sure things are okay.
1: I love that that's got to make students
2: feel really safe and comfortable with you guys. I I hope so. They they need it. I mean, we have a lot of students, they don't have, came from far away, they don't have family around, they're having housing troubles or something. And, you know, and they're having a lot of things going on in their lives that we may not see and not know about. And we just say, you know, you have an exam, you have to do well, you're supposed to be studying all the time. They have all this stuff going on at home, you know, especially with COVID. And that's, you know, getting in the way of their doing well in school sometimes.
1: Students need to know before they apply to a program that how their relationship's gonna be with their professors and just making sure that they're there for them. And that, cause it is, a, it's a doctoral program. It's a graduate program. It's, it's not easy,
2: obviously. In my graduate information session the other night, a student asked, he, he goes, I'm gonna turn the questions on you. He said, what is one reason why you think students should go to and apply to NYIT? And my answer right away was faculty. And it had a a couple of things around the faculty. One is that all of our faculty get along for, and more importantly, we support each other. And so we help each other through, senior faculty help junior faculty. The next is that we as faculty at NYIT have a lot of support, not only from our chair, is amazing and I'm telling you she has our backs at every turn but the dean as well he has our backs at every turn and us faculty knowing this makes us more confident going in and doing our jobs well we also have an amazing center for teaching and learning that helps us with teaching techniques and things like that. And they are priceless. Our IT department right now, they are on Zoom. You can go on anytime from nine to 7 p.m. five days a week and talk to someone from technology to help us with getting our classes online and you know, working with Blackboard or Canvas or whatever we're working with. So the support here at MIT for the faculty is amazing. And why that's important is because that I feel that trickles down into the classroom. If faculty are not supported, if they don't get along with one another, the students are going to feel that in the classroom. And it's detrimental to their learning. So um, I think the faculty and the support that we get as faculty from NYIT is really important. And one of the main reasons that NYIT is so successful.
1: I agree that that it definitely will affect the students if they negatively or positively, regardless of what's happening at the faculty level. I love that. So for a student who applies to your program, what can they expect on the timeline of a decision? If your program conducts interviews or preview days, what can a student expect during the course of the day?
2: So first we have a couple of ways that a student can enter the program. The first is the more typical way. Student earns a four-year degree and applies to our professional phase of the program, which is three years like the other schools as well. We interview in the fall and in early winter, and we typically let a student know if they are accepted within about three weeks. If a student is interviewed but not accepted outright, then they're put on a wait list and we keep a very long wait list and, you know, 35, maybe 40 students even on a wait list. And as students accept us, that's great. And if the student says, I'm sorry, I'm going elsewhere, then we open it up and we start going off of our wait list from there. We also have a three plus three program or a combined program which other schools have as well where students apply in high school. So they'll apply their senior year of high school and they're notified by about late February if they're accepted to the program or not. That's always good to know because you guys are on rolling admissions, correct? Yeah. So we're on rolling admissions. And again, word to the wise, the student needs to be very careful of programs that work on a rolling admissions basis. because We start looking at applications before our deadlines. We have a soft deadline of October 15th, meaning we prefer that you get your application in by October 15th and a hard deadline by December 15th. But we start looking at applications in late August and we start filling our interview slots in September. And our interview slots are usually October, November, December, January. Very often, by our, sometimes by our soft deadline, but usually by early November, almost all of our interview slots are filled because we work on that rolling admissions basis. So that's important to know, students really need to be aware of it.
1: For many students, they are going right from their undergraduate degree to their graduate degree, while others may have been a non-traditional students. No matter what the case is, everyone must experience first day jitters. What can a student expect on their first week of class or first day of class?
2: Ah, so that's a really good question. So First, we start the program with an orientation. So the students get to know one another and meet the faculty. Um, Pre-COVID, and I think even this year, this year I believe we're going back to in-person. Last year, we, we had to do an online orientation. We have the faculty come in and introduce themselves. We tell them a little bit of, a little more about clinical education, a little bit more about program. Introduce themselves. So, you know, tell a fun fact about yourself. So, We can kind of get a feel for each other. And so that kind of gets them to know each other and a little bit of the faculty. The next day starts the first day of class. And as I mentioned, I teach the first course, which is Human Gross Anatomy. From day one in that course, first I go in on the orientation and I say, hi, and I say, tomorrow, this is what you should expect. I introduce my teaching assistants in the orientation as well, so they can kind of see us before they go into class on the next day. You know, one of the first things that I try to impose upon them is that it's a safe learning environment for them. We really encourage students to ask questions and to make mistakes and that it's okay to make mistakes. You need to make mistakes in order to learn. And so that's probably the biggest focus of how I structure my anatomy course is really to have that safe learning environment and multiple ways to learn as well, but so that students feel comfortable in the classroom and that they're not nervous about going to the classroom. The jitters right before going in, I can't help them, but but knowing that we're all we're all nice and we're all there to help them, hopefully will decrease the jitters a little bit at least. Yeah, that first day is always terrifying. I guess, and I don't even think of it as terrifying. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, another class, right? Forgetting that the students are probably terrified. And I, yeah, going into the cadaver lab the first day can be tough. I just went out yesterday about smelling salts just in case, but I've never had to use them for, for the students. Thank goodness. I know for some students, probably the first
1: time seeing a dead person. So they're probably a little freaked out with that, like day one, th- thrown straight into it. I, I personally, funny story in undergrad, because I went to University of Pittsburgh. So we were allowed to use the cadavers that the med uh-huh. students had already used yeah. so it was it was really cool and it was a great experience but i didn't know that it was like a cadaver lab so i just show up to this one place on a wednesday morning at 8 a.m i'm like half asleep i have my coffee in my hand and i'm just like i smelled it and i was like
2: oh they're real god oh so i'm my glad god. i was just thrown in because i think yeah, i've I gotten like anxious. they just did you oh my yeah that's tough mm-hmm. that's really tough yeah i think you have to kind of wrap your head around it a little bit before you go in it was a
1: complete it was such a like Valuable experience for me wow. to be able to learn from that because you see a book and it's like, okay, here is the like Sartorius, but it's like nice and red and outlined and everything. And then you get into the lab and you're like, where is it?
2: Yeah, where and you're looking right at it. Uh, yeah. And it's
1: like, it's like, very obvious. It? It's like,
2: I'm like, where yeah, is it? Totally different. So, and so that's why we're, you know, not all schools have cadaver labs and a lot are going towards, you know, the online and the Um, the technology for dissecting, um, but we're sticking with the cadaver labs because we feel it's a really, really important part of students' education. Absolutely. I 100% agree. I learned so much
1: from that lab. My next question is, I understand there's a lot of pre-PTs out there that maybe the start to their journey was a little rough. Either they had issues adjusting to college or a great family emergency happened, or maybe even later on, they're like, you know what? I actually want to go do PT. Like This is really what I want to do. So, at Pre-PT Grind, our mission is to help push and guide these students to take the correct course of action that will ultimately allow them to get into PT school. For a student with a lower GPA who wants to get into PT school, what would you recommend?
2: Yeah, so that, and you, and you hit a, a few different scenarios in the question there. So for a student, I'll, I'll tackle on the student with a low GPA. Students, I think, need to understand we ask for minimum GPAs for a reason. It's been shown that students that don't have certain GPAs going into PT school have a lot of difficulty in school and may not make it through. So we don't do that to be mean. We do that because there's a reason. And to understand, and I assume I'm speaking for other schools as well, is all the minimum requirements that we ask for, they're minimum. Most of the accepted students have above the minimum requirements. If your GPA is near our minimum right now, is a 3.0. If you have a 2.8 or 2.9, I know some schools might just parse out the students below their minimums and not look at their applications. We actually will breeze through applications for students who, who are at or near our minimum, of course, at our minimum, but even slightly below our minimum, because a lot of times we find the gems in there. And we find that students maybe are coming back from another career, maybe they went to school many years ago, they didn't do that well in undergrad, then they worked for 15 years and now they're coming back and taking their prerequisite classes. And when they first went to undergrad, they did terrible, but that GPA is being carried forward with their prerequisite classes where maybe they got all A's, all right? So there we find those gems. For a more typical student who went, you know, recently went to undergrad, didn't do well in school, we're kind of okay with not doing as well in freshman year. So we'll kind of forgive that depending on the grades. You know, some C's in there, we still can't have too many C's. We see a D or an F, that's a problem unless it can be really explained and there's a good reason behind it. But we'll kind of forgive that freshman year. But by the sophomore year, we need to see the grades picking up. We can't still see low C's, maybe a D in the sophomore or junior year, we can't see that. We need to see an upward trajectory of grades. For those students who had the low grades early on, didn't quite pick it up, you know, you retake classes, of course, to get the grades up, and we get that, and and you get great grades, usually, A's and B's in your prerequisites, but you've retaken many classes. The student needs to realize that they're being compared against other students who didn't have to retake those classes to get the high grade. And so as an admissions officer, I'm like, do I take the person who had to retake four or five science prerequisites or the student who took them right off and got good grades in them, assuming everything else in the application is equal, right? You know, so seeing from our point of view, you can kind of see where we're going to gravitate towards the student who didn't have to retake that many classes. All right. So you can retake classes. If you're finding you're having a lot of retakes, then another option we offer, just suggest really not, that it's a guarantee, though, that you go in and get a master's degree in a science program so that you're taking science classes, you're proving that you can do graduate work with science classes, and that, for me, that definitely helps negate some of the lower grades that you had in undergrad.
1: For you guys specifically, are you guys more looking at a, the last 60 credit hours for a student, or are you just looking at overall grade trajectory based on the classes that they're taking?
2: I'm looking more at grade trajectory. I mean, if they had good grades all the way through, I mean that's a no-brainer, right? But for the students who have the lower GPAs, admissions specialist that works with us, our administrative assistant, Ms. Severance, and she will take a first pass through GPAs and she'll mark down all the GPAs for me. So I can kind of see that. And she'll say, you know what, this one's a little bit low GPA, but you know, there's something special about them. Would you mind taking a look? Something like that. So she has her radar on to pick those students that are close and might have something very special in their transcript that we wanna see that other schools might miss because the GPA was below their minimum and therefore they don't look below the minimum. But we kind of pride ourselves in kind of a holistic approach. We understand that when students are young, they may not take school seriously, they may have had a lot of fun or they may not have known how to manage their time and then they finally figure it out. I mean, it takes a while to figure out time management and how to study. And how to study for science courses. That's a whole different way than studying for a literature course, right? So we get that. And I have three children. They've all gone through college. I get it. So yeah, we like to forgive a little bit and kind of look for that special student that might have a little bit lower GPA. But of course, they would have had approved later on that they could do the coursework. And and we do find some gems that way. That's always
1: encouraging to hear because people think they're a complete lost cause, but yeah. they've gotten like a four per for their last, their post back work and everything. And it's like, no, you're cl- showing
2: that you're, you're getting there. Like you can, yeah. you can handle they, it. People mature. Yeah. They, you know, they just mature. and, and that's okay. yeah. The other group that I kind of have a soft spot for, because I was one of them to a certain extent is students changing careers or going back to school when they're older. I went to school at a kind of regular college age and PT school and things like that. But I went back for my transitional doctorate of physical therapy and my PhD. When I, I'll just say I was older than 48 when I did it. So I was balancing kids, working full-time and going to school. And so the students that are doing that and they're coming back and they're managing all of these other things I know that they are giving up a lot to get their prerequisites in and to completely switch over and become a physical therapist. So I know that they're going to be serious about this because they have a lot on the line there. So I kind of have a soft spot for those older students who have the guts actually to go back and change things in their life and, and know that they're not too old to do it. I think it's great. Cause I think you should just learn forever.
1: That's like my philosophy too. Like I'm like the second you feel like you like know everything and you're like, Oh, I'm done. Like just go retire on your private Island or something like that. No. Like just, just okay, go. I will
2: retire on my private Island. But- <laughs> But yes, but keep keep learning even on the private island.
1: <laughs> of course. And I also as a student who like in my PTA class, there were older students who were like in their thirties or forties and just learning from them and like their life experience as a student, like that that was great and like they had even older parents so then they were like hey like this is like the family aspect of taking care of older parents and everything I mean it was great they there was such invaluable like life experience I learned from these people that I can see that them being in a PT class where like maybe some of the students in the class are coming straight out of undergrad that are like 22 23 they're gonna learn a lot from them as well
2: yeah and it's and that's interesting you brought that up because that speaks to earlier when I said We're looking for what can students bring special to the class. And so we look for different age students as well, because we understand that that older student is going to bring a whole different perspective to life and to school than that younger student who just came out of undergrad that, you know what? Yeah, you have an exam this Friday, but you should see what I have on my plate. My mother just fell and broke her hip. My daughter is having trouble in school. My, you know, so they kind of help put things in perspective. For that younger student who might be really stressing out so much and and that this is the only thing, you know, I have to do. It's so stressful being in PT school. So we'd like having the older student in class as well.
1: Yeah, I I personally loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was a lot of fun. So my last question for you, what is one piece of advice that you would give to any
2: applicant during their pre-PT journey? So I have a couple things. One is contact the admissions officers at the schools that they're interested in. Get your name known. Now, understand, and I get a lot of emails from students saying, hi, this is so-and-so. I'm interested in your program. Would you have time to talk? I mean, I know the student has a lot going on. I have a lot going on. I have, and a lot of schools have, graduate information sessions or something like that for talking with students. So we can't be talking to students all week and calling them individually and saying the same things over and over again. We understand that there's some unique situations. So I usually reply to that, that student and just say, If I I really don't meet with students individually, unless it's a unique situation that can't be handled via email or over the phone, please let me know if that pertains to you. And if it doesn't, then I say, listen, I have a graduate information session coming up. I send them a document with lots of information on our admissions process and what we're looking for on it. And I say, please let me know if you have any questions. All right. But the student still gets on my radar because they've emailed me. And if they've emailed me a couple times out of need, not just to email me to, you know, to get their name in front of me, and I've had very pleasant conversations with them via email, usually, and they've been very professional about it, then I'm like, you know what, this one's kind of special. And I keep I actually keep just a little yellow sticky to my computer. And I have uh, on it, I write applicants to look out for and I have a list of names. And I tell my admissions officer, Ms. Severance, and I ask her, I say, listen, can you look out for these names as they come by? Because I just want to take a special look at them. I've talked to them, and they have a little special situation going on. I want to make sure I give a good once over with their application. So that's probably the first thing I would say. If you don't get accepted to a school, and you want to know why, which is a totally, you know, relevant question, right? You know, can you just let me know? Just be professional in your correspondence not but I did this and I did that and I don't know why you didn't accept me you know be you know I'm sorry that I wasn't accepted to your program if you have any feedback for me so I can make my application better for next year I'd appreciate it be professional because then if you apply next year I remember that, and I'm like, wow, they were really nice about it, and they had asked about it, you know, so I'm I'm going to have a little more favorable view of you looking into you next year. And then my other advice, which we mentioned early, was for the schools that work on the rolling admissions basis, apply early, early, early in the admissions process by August, get your application in.
1: That is obviously
2: very great advice for students, especially highlighting the rolling admissions, getting your application in early. The portal opens right around July 1st. You should be populating the application right away, asking for the things that you don't have that much control over. And through PTCAS, you request letters of rec, you request transcripts. Get those requests out. Make sure you warn the people that you're asking letters of rec for that, you know, would you mind if I use, if you wrote a letter for me so that they know when they see it, what it's for, and then work on the things in the application you can control. You will put in your work hours, you put in your extracurricular experience and things like your essay and things like that but but get the requests out for the things you don't have that much control over which is the letters of rec and the transcripts
1: I think that that's all great advice for students it's a lot of the stuff that we tell students as well just to make sure like the second you can work on your application get going on it because the earlier the better even if it's a school that has like a deadline that's farther away like it's in you can freak out about it a little less absolutely
2: absolutely
1: <laughs> alright so that wraps up all the questions i want to thank you again for chatting with me so do you have any other questions for
2: us i don't think so i just like to say i'm i'm happy to hear about this podcast i think it's i'm hoping it's really really helpful for students and gives them a, a you know a forum to learn, learn how to apply because there are some tips and tricks and some inside information. And it sounds like you're giving it to them. So I think it's great. Uh, Keep up the good work. Thank you so much.
3: What's up, guys? It's Casey. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pre-PT Grind podcast. Now, this episode was sponsored by the Acceptance Navigator series, which is a free four-part Pre-PT video series where we teach you exactly how to take full control of your PT school acceptance journey as well as how to find clarity and direction as a pre-PT so that you can dominate your application regardless of your GPA, GRE score, or your dreaded fear of rejection. So learn how to take the driver's seat, the driver's seat of your acceptance journey and to not leave your acceptance just up to chance by shooting in the dark and hoping for the best as an applicant. Like this is the most value we've ever given away and it's free. And it's free so take full control of your pre-pt journey today by going to www.acceptancenavigator.com www.acceptancenavigator.com this episode was also brought to you by our friends at ptschoolprobe.com that's ptschoolprobe.com now one of the biggest fatal application mistakes that thousands of pt school applicants make each year is when applying to pt school without even like having the right match for you as an applicant so partnering up with our friends at pt school probe has made this problem a thing of the past pt school Probe makes it extremely easy to like just you plug in what you want you click this you click that and boom it spits out exactly what you're looking for in a school whether it's cost location clinicals this and that you put it in you do 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 and that's it that's it it spits out exactly what you're looking for no more stress no more searching, no more anxiety, put in what you want and bam, the right matches for you and what you're looking for pop up just like that. So to get matched and locked into your perfect DPT school program, go to ptschoolprobe.com. That's www.ptschoolprobe, like p-r-o-b-e.com, ptschoolprobe.com and use our code preptgrind in all lowercase to get a discount and let them know that Your good friends at PT Grind sent you on over. Like this will save you hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars by making sure that you apply to the right schools. So again, ptschoolprobe.com. That's www.ptschoolprobe.com and use our code FREEPTGRIND in all lowercase. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you on the next one.